This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 9. This is Writing Excuses. Unpacking the tension. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Lun. I'm Aaron. I'm Dan. And I'm Howard. We are going to be spending the next several weeks talking about tension. Um, I'm going to go ahead and frame this uh, a little bit because as we were trying to set the season, um, we each brought something that we have been struggling with a little bit or, or a new toolbox that we, we've been noodling with. Aaron and I happen to have simultaneously just taught a class on tension. Um, so she's going to be chiming in here in a moment. But I want to I start explaining uh, what's going through my head with this. So we're often taught that a story must have conflict. Um, and I think that actually what drives a story is tension, but that conflict is the easiest form of tension to teach. And I started thinking about this while I was reading uh, Japanese literature, and um, which often does not have any visible conflict, but there's a ton of tension. And it, it really solidified for me while I was watching Ted Lasso. There's slight spoilers here, but uh, when you look at watch the Christmas episode of Ted Lasso, there's no villain. Um, everyone is being kind. There's no conflict. All of the conflict comes from this anticipation of of, of something that, that you think is going to go wrong. For instance, at the beginning of the Christmas episode, he's watching It's a Wonderful Life and he's drinking. And so obviously the next thing that's going to happen is he's going to go on a bender and he's going he's gonna to have a dream sequence. Um, and none of that is what happens. But they so clearly signpost it that, that it builds this tension uh, and then, then you get this release. So what I want to talk about is... Um, looking at at some different types of tension. Uh, so we're going to kind of give you an overview, and then uh, for the rest of the episodes, we'll be digging into each type of tension. So I'm going to break them down, and then I'm going to let other people talk. Um, the The types of tension that, that I am identifying as I'm attempting to build this toolbox um, are anticipation, juxtaposition, unanswered questions, conflict, and then microtension. Um, Aaron, on the other hand, is building, is constructing attention toolbox in a different way. Yeah, and I will say that one of the things I love about tension just to start is that tension is emotional. Just the word tension feels more emotional than conflict. And I think it's an amazing reminder that you need some sort of engagement with the thing in order to be tense. If you don't care, you won't be tense. I think sometimes... Uh, because we think a lot about conflict, people will open a story or a novel or a movie with a conflict that we haven't bought into. And so we're not feeling the tension. We just see the conflict. Like when you have a little, you know, you're two dinosaurs as a kid and you have them fight. Um, and, you know, the two dinosaurs are fighting with each other, but why? And does anyone care? And so to me, tension is a lot about building in and thinking about the emotion and the other thing that I really love about just tension versus conflict is that conflict is something that is felt on the page. Like your characters are in conflict with each other, perhaps, or with nature or what have you. But 
your reader is not in conflict. They are observing the conflict. The tension is the thing that both the readers and the characters can share. I love love this uh, description of tension as requiring an emotional investment. Uh, For me, the way I have always thought about it, tension is a combination of anticipation and hope. You anticipate something bad is going to happen. You hope it doesn't. But without that hope, without that one, one outcome I like and one outcome I don't like, there isn't really any tension. It's just a bunch of stuff that happens. I think the the outcome of tension and hope is um, is a, where a lot of uh, romance comes from. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you know that they're going to get together. Um, and so that's a thing that you're hoping for the entire time. But you keep seeing all of the reasons that they aren't going to get together, which which is what builds that tension. I, that's a, I really like that framing, Dan. Yeah, um, I've, uh, uh, without going into detail, one of the things that for me makes a good action scene is if I care about what's happening. If the action scene, you know, fight scenes are often, you know, inherently conflict because they're fighting. But if I'm not feeling tension, if I'm not, if I'm not emotionally invested, all the great fight choreography is just is just eye candy. I don't I don't care. And so tension is key. It's critical. Yeah, and I think that brings up a really interesting point because for me, tension is almost always about relationships because stakes aren't necessarily about survival. Stakes are about consequence and how you see yourself or how you see other people in connection to other characters because that's how we think about it and that's how we feel it. So, you know, the, just for a quick example, going to what you're saying, Howard, like the lobby scene out of The Matrix is them fighting a bunch of goons the tension in that scene doesn't come from, are they going to shoot these security guards? It comes from, is Neo starting to realize who he is? Is he in tension with himself? What matters to him? And so we're excited by that scene because we see, as as Morpheus says, he's starting to believe. We see that relationship starting to change. And so the tension comes from an internal journey that the character is on, not the conflict of there are 10 random goons that need to get out of their way at this point. I think you can also, like, if you're thinking, oh, I'm just starting my story. Nobody yet cares about my characters. How am I going to create this tension? One way to do that also is to tap into kind of primal tensions, I think, Mm -hmm. that we feel. So if you are on a spaceship and the spaceship is breaking, you know, that's bad. But if it's also this person's first day on the job, you, you know, there's a certain primal, oh, crap, I just got this job and now everything's breaking or I have to give a speech. The things that people freak out about in their dreams, like that kind of thing, if you put it on the page, it's a way to tap into tensions that people might be feeling in their own lives and then use that to kind of move the action forward while you build up the character engagement. Yeah, the thing that you said about conflict being something the character sees, but tension is something the audience sees. Conflict for the character is, am I going to survive this? I, as the reader at the beginning of the book, I don't really care yet. I don't know you. Sure, if you fall out into space and die, that's not particularly interesting to me. But what is interesting to me is, are you going to feel bad about it being your fault that you fell out into space and died, right? I think that's the difference between tension and and that conflict in that way of, you know, stakes matter or survival matters to the character, but you have to give me a reason to care. And that's where tension comes in. Circling back to Mary Robinette's uh, five things here. Uh, Can I talk about juxtaposition for just a moment? 
I think you can after the break. And that is going to create tension for our readers, our listeners, (sighs) as they wait to find out what Howard is going to say about juxtaposition. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc all right so our thing of the week this week is dark one forgotten uh the first official collaboration between dan wells and brandon sanderson this is the prequel to a story that uh, has been out in graphic novel form for a while called Dark One. It's a portal fantasy. Um, This is presented, the the prequel is presented as as if it were a six-episode podcast. Uh, Someone is making an amateur true crime podcast about a mysterious murder that has remained unsolved for 30 years. And over the course of the series discovers many more mysteries and uh, a much larger thing going on. Uh, This is a lot of fun because of that nature of as a faux podcast. It is only in audio. Uh, It's available pretty much everywhere. Audiobooks are available. And take special note of this thing of the week because uh, several episodes from now, we're going to do a deep dive on this one. When we finish our whole tension class that we're doing, uh, we are going to do a deep dive into Dark One Forgotten and talk about uh, the process of writing it and and producing it and everything at length. So it's a little over six hours and it's a lot of fun. They did an amazing job on the on the the recording. The cast is is wonderful. So Dark One Forgotten by Dan Wells and Brandon Sanderson. All right, Howard. Okay. All right, Howard. Tell me. Tell me about juxtaposition and return your of the return of the king, the Peter Jackson. We have the scene where uh, the steward of Gondor has sent troops into Osgiliath to try and take it back, and while those troops are in Osgiliath, the steward is eating and making. I can't remember if it's Mary or Pippin making them it's sing. Pippin. It's Pippin. And we are watching, uh, is it is it John Noble? Is that the name of the actor? I think yeah, it's yes. John Noble. We are watching him crush food in his mouth and dribble on his face and tear meat from bone as we watch these soldiers ride into Osgiliath. And it is brilliant and beautiful as juxtaposition and also serves as a way to give us X-rated levels of gory, horrible violence without actually doing that. Our Your brain does all the work because of the juxtaposition. And it makes you terribly tense because the soldiers on the horses 
have not yet been turned into grapes in John Noble's mouth yet, and you don't know if they will be. That's a great example. It's something that that it makes me think of that I've been thinking about a lot is is how much of storytelling is a collaboration between the author and the reader. Um, we we talk about this in uh, in puppetry that the difference between uh, playing with dolls in a puppet show is that one of them has an audience and that the puppet exists in this liminal space between us. And and it is also true for writing that I can I can write something, but the moment you start consuming it, you're going to bring your own lens to it, your own experience, and you're going to combine things in your own head in ways that I can't anticipate. That makes me think a lot of something that I find really fascinating about tension, and it is that difference between what readers are doing and what what the characters are doing is narrative tension versus what I call contextual tension. Hmm. So narrative tension is the tension that characters feel and contextual tension is the tension that readers feel. And they don't actually have to be the same. If the characters are blithely walking into an ambush, but you signal to the reader that there's an ambush coming, there's a difference there versus where both folks both are feeling tense. So there's a lot of really, really fun things that you can do there in, in, in separating those two and playing with, where your character's feeling tension and where do you want your reader to be? Yeah, I think of this really as genre expectations, right? So if you're in romance, you're in horror, you're in mystery in the ways that we've talked about in the past, the audience has certain expectations. And this is why when I talk about storytelling, I always talk about pattern recognition, right? We have read and absorbed thousands upon thousands of stories over the course of our life. And so we have ideas of how these things are supposed to go. You can use those expectations for a lot of these techniques we're talking about here, in particular, anticipation and juxtaposition. Anticipation being sort of like, we think we know how it's going to go. And then juxtaposition is the contrast of, we thought it was going to go this way, but now it's going that way. And I think you can use that tension between the audience expectation and what's happening in the text to kind of create a discordant note that automatically creates a sense of tension that that the audience is so hungry for it to be resolved um, and waiting for that resolution, waiting for that next chord to progress so that we know where we're going is a, 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 one of the most effective ways to create tension uh, between the book and the audience. So one of the elements on Mary Robinette's list that we haven't talked much about yet is unanswered questions. Uh, which at one level, that's just what a mystery is, right? Somebody is dead. We want to know who killed them and how. Uh, and so we have that question. But there's a lot of other ways to use this type of tension. Uh, and the, the example that comes to mind is the old TV show Alias, uh, which kind of leaned a little too heavily on this particular trope. But many, many, I would go so far as to say most of those episodes started with the main character in a horrible situation and then we would cut away and say, 72 hours earlier. And then that leaves us with this unanswered question of, oh, no, I know she's going to be in horrible peril at some point. How does that happen? How is that situation created? What is going to go massively wrong? And that creates the tension that draws us through the episode to get the answer to that question. This is also what's commonly referred to as mystery box storytelling. This is the J.J. Abrams idea of asking what's in the box, what's in the puzzle, uh, can be a driving force for your entire narrative. So Lost is probably the most famous example of this. Um, and, you know, sometimes it could be unsatisfying if it's clear they never knew what was in the box in the first place. But you can you can really 
connect with an audience who also wants to know what is the core of this mystery? What is the core thing that's happening? Um, you know, a, a more recent example is Severance is a great example of like, what the hell are they actually doing down there is a thing that really drives the story forward. Speaking of boxes, literally, uh, since we've done Glass Onion as thing of the week, mm -hmm. maybe you have all seen this, but it starts with a box being opened. And I think that why that is so important is because in order to have your audience trust that you will answer the unanswered questions, it helps to pose a question and answer it early on so that you're like, I am capable of answering questions. How will they open this box? They do. You saw it. And so then you're actually willing to give more space each time you have you answer a question for an audience member or for a reader, I think what happens is you lengthen the amount of time that you can put between question and answer because they trust you that much more. Uh, Dan's example from Alias, you know, 72 hours earlier is the in media res, you know, we and we're familiar with that structure. Um, one of my favorite reversals of that uh, can be found in the first paintball episode of Community. Uh, I think it's episode 23 of season one, where Jeff leaves the room. You know, we've been told, oh, there's going to be a game of paintball assassin, whatever. Jeff leaves the room and says, I'll see you losers later. I'm going to go take a nap in my car. And then we see, kachung, one hour later, Jeff wakes up in his car, steps out of the car, and the campus is a wasteland. Um, with, you know, sort of, zombie wasteland music playing and for for a couple of minutes there you're wondering okay what happened i now have a lot of questions about what could have gone this wrong in an hour now obviously it's a community or it's a community it's community so it's a comedy so there's exaggeration but the tool is still there for you uh running the clock forward a little bit and things have changed and how did it get this bad this quickly I'm going to briefly cut in to say that one of the reasons that we separated unanswered questions from anticipation is that, um, and we, we went back and forth on whether or not they should be lumped together, is that with anticipation, it is something that you know is going to happen. Like, you know that when they they walk down the basement steps that a bad thing is going to happen and tension comes from that. Uh, it's anticipating an outcome versus unanswered questions where you don't know the answer. So in one, you, you can be, with anticipation, you can be wrong about the answer. Like, you know, often you build tension by having them go down the stairs and then something jumps out at them, but it's just the cat. Um, so you can you can build anticipation and tension and, and let the reader be wrong about what they're anticipating, but that is different than the reader does not know what is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, so, going back to severance, I'm actually expecting not to get answers to many of the questions I have. It's sort of a genre expectation that I would almost be unsatisfied if they did answer all those questions. But finding out more so I could start piecing together the puzzle is one of the narrative things that's pulling me through this story that I'm loving. Yeah. And the last uh, piece of it that we need to define, and then we'll go to our homework, is microtension. And I'll try to keep this short. Uh, microtension are smaller tensions that happen within a larger scene. So if your character is attempting to deal with, uh, with a murder, but then they also have to make spaghetti dinner uh, and the water boils over, that's a microtension. Um, they're, they're small tensions that, that pop up often from mundane sources, but not always. You know, and they can be related to they can be related to the plot. You know, I need to get the autopsy report 
And in order to get the autopsy report, I have to apologize to the coroner. And yeah. uh, now macro tension would be, I'm going to go steal the report. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, should I do homework? I think that's a great idea, Howard. I should do homework. Okay. In this episode, we covered five types of tension. Uh, anticipation, juxtaposition, unanswered questions, conflict, and microtension. Look at your current work in progress or something that you're reading. Last week, we invited you to read a mystery. Um, and I try to identify examples of each of these. And that's it. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Imagine working with horses as a way to explore and enhance your creative process, all while enjoying the beautiful surroundings of Bear Lake, Utah. Led by me and Dan, this four-day workshop is suitable for writers and writers of all levels and experience. Come make new connections, receive valuable feedback, and set your writing goals in motion. Visit writingexcuses.com for more information about writing excuses. <laughs> you are out of excuses. Now go ride. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.